0: Well, if you have uh, been to our church office before, you know that we office at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I'm not going to lie, it's a little weird. It's a little weird pulling up and parking in this massive parking lot of occasionally hearing cars zip by while I'm in my office uh, doing work. It is a, a, a hustling and bustling place. It's fascinating. If you were to go to Charlotte Motor Speedway and walk in that main level, there are doors there. You would walk through the doors, and on the, the left-hand side, you would see a security guard that would welcome you. Uh, and if you had any questions, they would be able to answer them. They'd be able to point you in the right direction. If you were to walk straight ahead, eventually you would run into the elevators to your left and to your right. Uh, You're not allowed to use the elevators on the left-hand side. You can use the elevators on the right-hand side. If you were to look straight ahead, you would see a rather large television, and on that rather large television, there would be highlights, of races and cars and people and events that have taken place at the speedway. And underneath that rather large television, uh, you would see a countdown clock. And when you look at the countdown clock, the clock is counting down to two major events that happen in May and in October. Uh, They are the two races, or I guess technically three races, uh, that they plan for and prepare for and look forward to all year round. Like, they live their lives for those weekends. It is a a big deal. Everything they do, the decisions that they make, uh, revolve around those events. Recently, I saw that countdown clock and I thought to myself, I wonder what it would be like if I lived life as if there was a countdown clock, the countdown clock to my life. If, if I knew the number of days that God had given to me or I knew the number of days before uh, Christ returned, uh, how would I live life differently than I was living today? Today. Have you ever thought of that before? Have you ever thought about how your life would be different or unique or what you would change if you knew there was a countdown clock that was counting down the days and the hours and the minutes and the seconds? The scripture teaches us that that such a countdown clock actually kind of exists. God knows our beginning and he knows our end. So scripture calls us, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This morning I want us to think together about how to uh, prepare uh, for the day when our countdown clock hits zero. Uh, Scripture tells us how, or at least helps prepare us, In Mark chapter 13, and so if you have your Bibles, please uh, turn with me there to Mark chapter 13. I want to begin by looking in Mark chapter 13 at verse 24. It says in Mark 13 verse 24, "...but in those days after that tribulation the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven." And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth uh, to the ends of heaven. And so uh, Jesus' scripture paints this picture of of end times being a time met with uh, cosmic chaos. There's cosmic chaos. When you look at the world around you, he says there will be tribulation. The sun uh, will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven. The powers in the heavens will be shaken. And out of this cosmic uh, chaos, we're told that uh, the Son of Man will come in the clouds with great power and glory. Have you ever thought about that picture before? Of of Jesus, the Son of Man, coming with power and glory. Jesus, when He comes again, will not come as a a baby being held in the arms of His mother. He will come as a triumphant King. I have to admit, when I read that, there's part of me that I can't even begin to grasp uh, what that experience would be like. I mean, even my very definition of power and glory uh, seems so tame and minuscule and my, minute and insignificant uh, compared to God's power and God's glory seen in the person of Jesus. I mean, think about it for a second. What do you typically think of when you think of power? I mean, what comes to mind? Maybe you think of a strong man when you think of power. I remember a couple years ago, I had an opportunity to go to a Carolina Panthers game. They were playing the Houston Texans. And I remember I had an opportunity to walk on the field, and I was walking on the field, and I was rather close to the Houston Texans, the players who were warming up and stretching. And I looked up, and I saw J.J. Watt right in front of me. And I looked at him and thought to myself, I do not want to fight that man Right? I do not stand a chance. I mean, he, just, he is a large human being. He's just a big dude. And I looked at him and I'm like, that is a man who is powerful. Maybe when you think of power, you don't think of a person. Maybe you think of the, the power of nature, the power of uh, the wind, or the power of the waves. You see uh, what wind or waves can do, how destructive it can be and when you think of power maybe your mind naturally goes to those places but what do you think of when you think of the the power of god it seems like i think about that idea and yet i i struggle i grasp for words or even for a picture that adequately describes the power of god and yet scripture there are times when scripture describes god's power to us job chapter 26 Uh, Verse 7 says he, God, stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced. The fleeing serpent, behold, verse 14 reads, these are but the outskirts of his ways. In how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? I love how the NIV uh, describes verse 14 or how it's translated. It says, These are just the beginning of all he does, merely a whisper of his power. Like all these things that the author just described when when they show the magnificence and the beauty and the power of God in creation, of speaking the world into existence, of separating light from the darkness, of telling the sea, that's far enough. We see the power before us and the author of Job says that is just a whisper. It's just scratching the surface To the power and the might of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Right? God speaks and it is so. He sustains us and gives us breath by the power of his word. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Right? God's kingdom and God's people and how we operate, it's not marked by chit-chat. It's marked by the, the power of God, and we're told that there will be a time when, when Jesus comes back in power and in glory. Glory is another one of those words It's difficult to define. I mean, you, you, you try to take the, the English language and frame a, a definition, but it's tough. It's like describing beauty. When we talk about God's glory all the time, we exist to glorify God. Uh, God has created us to glorify Him. But what does that, what does that mean? Glory is like defining beauty. It's hard for us to to wrap our minds around. One uh, pastor said God's glory is God going public uh, with his holiness. We we look at creation and we see the glory of God. People in scripture, when they asked to to see God's glory, were blown away. Remember when Moses asked God to see his glory and God, in essence, was like, you can't handle it. You can't, I'll 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 show you this much because he's so glorious. When Jesus reveals his glory to three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's like they're they're blown away. There aren't words for it. Scripture tells us that this this God, Jesus, uh, one day will come back with power and glory and he will gather his people He'll he'll gather his sons and daughters in in glory and in power. If you're like me, when you read something like that, I naturally ask, well, like, when's that going to (laughs) happen? Is that coming on Tuesday, or can I expect it the first quarter of the year? It's like when someone calls you and says, hey, I'm coming over. Like, if your family calls you and says, I'm coming over, you want to know like, when are you coming? Right? You look around the house and you see some shoes in places where they don't belong and there's a cereal bowl and maybe a coffee cup where it shouldn't be. Maybe there's a pair of pajama pants and you look and there's, there's mail on the, on the kitchen counter where it's not supposed to, to be. And you look at the, the dining room table and there's homework all laid out. And then you start looking in the corners of the kitchen and think to yourself, well, shoot, it looks kind of dusty and dirty. And then you remember when your kids were playing football outside and they came home and they didn't take off their shoes until they walked in the house and up the stairs and down the hall and got into their rooms. And you're going, they probably left a little trail. And so you're thinking to yourself, when are you coming? Because I want to prepare. I want to be prepared. And so Jesus, in part, kind of pulls back uh, the curtain. It says in verse 28, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. In other words, look at the signs. Look at the world around you. Are are things taking place that God promised would take place? It's like when the weather begins to warm up and you look at the trees and you see Uh, The buds on the trees or the flowers coming out, you're like, oh, the season, seasons are changing. Like, spring is coming, summer is coming. Jesus is like, look at the world around you and notice that it is near, verse 29. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, verse 30 says, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words uh, will not pass away. What does it mean when when Jesus says this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place? Because if he was just referring to his disciples, if he was referring to that generation, they've come and gone. right? And this hasn't played out, which leads me to believe that this is something in the future. That there is a generation to come that, that will experience this, that will see this. And Jesus reminds them, you can, you can trust my word. You can bank on my word. Because let's be honest, there's a part of us that reads this and we're like, people have been preaching the text for 2,000 years. And here we are. And I don't know about you, but after you wait a while, you, you have a tendency to get impatient. I do. It's like when you're in college and you're like, hey, the professor hasn't come, he's 10 minutes late, we're allowed to leave the class. It's like that's about our attention span, This, this long. And if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't play out, we just kind of move on to other things. And so we read about Jesus coming back and, hey, you'll see signs. And yet we don't see things play out the way that it seemingly is going to play out. And we get impatient and we begin to doubt or we just carry about our business. But Jesus assures his disciples, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Time and time again, Scripture reminds us that we can bank on his word. We can can trust in his word. Scripture says the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord endures forever. God's word is an anchor for our souls. It's an anchor for our souls. It's something that we can come to and come under and find stability in the midst of uncertainty, right? We, we come to um, his word, and yet we understand that the way that we function as a people oftentimes is not us coming up underneath his word. Instead, we try to figure things out on our own. And if the word falls in line with what we think or what we feel or our experience, we buy in. But if it doesn't, we have a tendency to kind of go our own way, I recently read an article from author Sam Alberry. He's a, a pastor in England. He works for a ministry called uh, Ravi Zacharias International uh, Ministries. And, and in this article, uh, he, he talked about how uh, oftentimes the way that we think and feel as a people, our, our moral compass, is influenced by our own experience and by the culture around us. And he quotes a uh, psychologist. Uh, By the the name of uh, of Jonathan Haidt, it's H-I-D-T, Jonathan Haidt, he wrote a book called The Righteous Mind, and he writes in the book The Righteous Mind that our moral convictions tend to come about intuitively rather than rationally. We have a gut feeling about what is morally right and wrong, and the institutions driving that gut reaction have changed in the past decade or so. Particular moral taste buds have come into play. Does a given course of action seem harmful or not, freeing or oppressive, fair or discriminatory? Uh, these primary factors, Haight argues, determine our moral conclusions. I think in many ways, uh, what this gentleman writes, Jonathan Haight, is, is accurate. Right? I, I think oftentimes we are influenced by uh, the, the morals of the world around us, and yet, As Christians, as followers of Christ, it should not be that way. Our our moral compass, what we believe in, what we trust, should be influenced and determined by what the Word of God says and speaks. Um, This this Sunday is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Since 1973, uh, on the low end, 53, 53 million, 53 million babies have been aborted. And we have convinced ourselves through our own logic in the world around us that this is a good idea, that this is what it means to be free. But scripture would teach us something else. It would teach us about the sanctity of human life. We're to come under the word and says, what does the word teach and say about this particular issue. Uh, tomorrow is Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Day, right? And so we think back as a nation upon the life of one man who stood up and said, this is not okay. It's not okay, right? He spoke for justice. He had a dream. So as the people of God, we look to the Word and we say, what, what does the Word teach? What does the Word say? And we bring ourselves up under the Word. The Word says that We are created in the image of God and we have intrinsic value and worth. And so we value people not because of the color of their skin, but because of the one who created them. But oftentimes as a people, we don't function like that. We function in such a way that says, what's easiest? What's most convenient? What do I think? What do you think? But seldom Seldom do we come under the word and go, God, what do you say? Because I want to bring myself up under the word. Jesus says this world around you will pass away. Do you know what will not pass away? This. And so we come up under uh, the word of God. Scripture teaches us that Jesus is coming again with glory and power. Jesus is coming again. We can bank on it. We can cling to his word Jesus is coming again and nobody knows when. Nobody knows when. Verse 32, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So Jesus is coming back. You don't know when, and I don't know when, I don't know. I don't know i mean i I read about things that happen in human history i i see the headlines just like you see the headlines and i can think to myself well some some of this is playing out some of this is happening wars and rumors of war and natural disasters and i yeah it's happening but i don't know when jesus is coming back and you don't know either I read this, and I thought this was like every movie that I ever saw when I was 17 years old played out this scene with teenagers, right? Their parents leave for the weekend. It's like every movie, like 70% of them, right? Mom and dad leave. They're like, listen, make make sure you behave. We're leaving. We're going on a little vacation. We'll be back. Don't do anything crazy. Parents leave. What do the kids do? Like next scene, there's cars parked on the front lawn. There's loud music. There's red solo cups all over the house. You like, you know how this is going to play out. Like they're dancing. They're having a good time. And for whatever reason, someone forgot something. Their plans changed. They missed the flight, whatever. But mom and dad come home. They swing open the door, and there are the kids throwing a party. This is like describing that but you're going to go about your business. You're going to be living life. You're going to be doing your thing. You're going to be pursuing joy. Dad's going to come back. But you know what? I don't don't know if I functionally live like I actually believe that. I mean, when, when push comes to shove, I don't spend a lot of think time throughout the course of the day going, let's see, this afternoon I have, I have emails, I need to do some message prep, I have a meeting at two. Like, I, you can look at my calendar, nowhere on there does it say, think about Jesus coming back. More often than not, it does not even enter my mind. I function like I will have forever. I act like I will have forever. I make decisions like I will have forever. Guess what? I don't have forever. And you don't either. Ephesians 5 says, look carefully then at how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of of the Lord is. And that was written 2,000 years ago. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I feel like we're 2,000 years closer today than we were when this was written. Jesus is coming in, in power and glory. And so we've got a clock. All of us have a clock. God's ordained your days. He knows your beginning and he knows your end. Uh, He knows when you will breathe your last breath and you will be before him. Or he knows when he will send his son triumphant on the clouds in power and glory uh, to gather his sons and daughters. He he knows that. We're, We're on the clock. Francis Chan, author and pastor, writes in his recent book, Letters to the Church. He writes these words, The older I get, the more aware I am that the end is near. There is no time to care about what I want in the church. There's no time to worry about what others are looking for in a church. I will be facing him soon, so I have to stay focused on his desires. Typically, when I speak at a conference, there's a countdown clock, Letting me know how much time I have remaining on the stage. Sometimes I pretend that the clock is a countdown of my life. I imagine that I will be standing face to face with God when the timer expires. This gives me courage to say everything I think uh, he would want me to say. If I am really going to die, I would care very little about people's complaints. I would be obsessed was seeing the face of God and wanting his approval. Man, I love that picture. And I love that picture of the countdown clock and going, man, I've got, I've got five more minutes with you. And I don't know what today holds. I don't know what this afternoon holds. I don't know what this next week or this month or this year holds. I've got a clock. And so do you. So if that is true, if we actually believe that, if we believed it in our hearts, how would life be different? How would life be different? I mean, think about the way that you spend your time. Think about the conversations that you have. Think about the things that you pursue. Think about the thoughts that consume your mind. Think about uh, the stuff that really, really, really bothers you. Man, if you knew your clock was ticking, would you still be consumed with the same things? Would you still think about the same things? Would you still uh, pursue the same things? Something tells me that if if I knew that that were true, if I live that way, that I would want to know that I'm right with God. I want to know that this is, that we're good. Scripture tells us that we can be right with God through a relationship with him. Scripture teaches us that we were born into sin. Word, thought, indeed, We've done things that are contrary to God's law. We couldn't save ourselves. We can't jump through spiritual hoops. We can't do anything in and of ourselves to make God pleased with us or proud of us. God's holy and just, and so he can't ignore our sin or turn a blind eye to our sin. He must deal with it. And so he sent his son Jesus, fully God and fully man, to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death. Scripture teaches us that Jesus was buried and he rose again in newness of life. Uh, By faith, because of the finished work of Jesus, we can enjoy that life. We can say, when the clock strikes zero, man, I cannot wait to see Jesus. And I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to stand before him and go, Jesus was good enough. He's good enough. I'm riding his coattails. Man, I'm trusting in him. Something tells me if we knew that we had a clock, we would want to be right with God, and something tells me that we would want our relationships here, our horizontal relationships, to be squared away. Like we'd want to make sure that, that we didn't carry baggage or hold things against our brothers and sisters. We'd have conversations that maybe we didn't want to have or we weren't all that excited to have. We, we'd forgive people that had wronged us. We'd, we'd let people go. We wouldn't hold their, their sins against them any longer. We'd free them. And we'd experience the freedom that God has given to us. If you knew you had a clock, if you knew you had a clock, would you live life differently? And if you knew Jesus was coming back this afternoon or next week or a month from now, all of us have a clock. Jesus is coming and the clock is ticking. So be ready. Would you pray with me? God, I really want to just functionally believe that that, that that is true. That you know our beginning and that you know our end. That you have given us a particular amount of time to live and to breathe and to operate in this world that you have placed us in. And, and if that is true, if there will be a day when we breathe our last breath and we stand before your son Jesus, or if Jesus were to come down on the clouds in power and in glory, I want to I be ready. And I want us as a church family to be ready. I, I admit that that idea could seem very foreign to us. I, I admit that we could spend a, a very little amount of time actually thinking those thoughts. But I, I pray, Lord... I pray for your people here this morning that they would leave and that they would find space and that they would find a time and they would open up your word and they would, they would just listen to what you have uh, to say to them, that they would prepare their hearts uh, for that day. And then Lord, I pray, I pray that you would graciously uh, remind us that that is true. Remind us that your son Jesus is coming back again prepare us for uh, that day. Your sons and daughters don't have to dread that day. We look forward to it with anticipation to stand before you, to see you uh, as you are, to be like you. That is our longing. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much that you have loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.